0: Hello, this is Pastor Ryan of the Fostoria Baptist Church here to welcome you to the Aroma of Christ podcast. To for whatever local church to which you belong, I hope that this helps you to serve that church well as you listen to these sermons that come from the pulpits of the Fostoria Baptist Church located at 524 West Lytle Street. God bless. Scripture reading this week is Isaiah 54, verses 1 to 10. This is a passage that looks at a barren woman and a married woman, and it speaks to the barren woman, saying that though she is currently barren and desolate, there is a restoration coming that will cause her, this her being Israel, and particularly the faithful remnant of Israel, that she will forget the reproach of her widowhood. Because instead, she will be married again to a better bridegroom, to a true bridegroom, to whom any unfaithfulness she has wouldn't cause unfaithfulness on the part of him. The bridegroom, of course, is none other than Yahweh Himself, their Lord and Maker. And so, Isaiah 54, verses 1 to 10, tell us, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tents and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy inhabitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. If you would turn back with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, where today our hope is to be looking at verses 1 to 13. We've been slowly working our way through Matthew. And we've gotten to this passage where Jesus is giving a speech talking about the end. Talking about waiting for the end, he's talking about being ready, and watchful, and being prepared. Last week, there was a servant who failed to be prepared, not properly obeying the Lord in the commands that had been given, because he thought that his Lord would return slowly. And his Lord returned quicker than he expected. In some ways, in many ways, this week is a parable that shows the opposite situation. The complement to that. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven... Be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. For our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for you and us. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Father God, we ask for your help through your Spirit in understanding these words, truly and deeply believing them and living as we are supposed to, in obedience, living in light of these glorious truths, in obedience to everything you tell us to do. Father, we... we ask that you would use everything that has been done and will be done in this service, including this sermon, to show us Christ, And prepare us to obey him for the long haul. Prepare us to keep going. And so, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Believe it or not, It is currently March, years going by, and we've found ourselves now at the beginning of this third month, which probably means that for most of us in this room, and indeed most of us in this country, those of us who have made New Year's resolutions or goals have probably lost sight of some of them. February and March times to start being quitting time for the exercise routine or the read-through-the-bible-in-a-year plan or any other type of resolution that we have with our own resolve pushing forward, trying to better ourselves in some way. It's a testament to the fact that our resolve only lasts so long. We can only pull ourselves up by our bootstraps so much before ultimately it gives way. There's a lack in we ourselves. Jesus talking to his disciples about the need for readiness and preparation tells another parable. He tells this parable about waiting for the bridegroom. He really tells the parable in three parts in verses 1 through 12. And then he gives a summary of it. In verses 1 to 6. He begins the parable. By talking about the preparation to meet the bridegroom. The preparation. To meet, verses 1 to 6. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened. Then is probably to be understood as at that time, continuing to refer to the coming of the Lord Jesus and then what the kingdom will be like when that comes. It begins by talking about 10 women, 10 virgins, 10 unmarried women who to be essentially friends invited to celebrate a marriage and they're waiting for the bridegroom now given that this whole section is about waiting for the coming of Jesus, Jesus is placing himself in that position as the bridegroom the position that in Isaiah 54 which we read this morning and other places throughout scripture has been a position that Yahweh That God has resided. Just another subtle way in which Jesus presents himself as we know him to be. God the Son. God himself. Of these ten virgins who are ready to celebrate this marriage. They're anticipating the coming of the bridegroom with joy. They're told that five are wise, and five are foolish. Verses 3 and 4 explain what makes some wise and others foolish. So the foolish have their lamps, they've got the light ready, but they don't have any extra oil. It's like having a flashlight without a battery. Only the oil is not going to last as long as modern batteries would last in our flashlights. But the wise, on the other hand, have a reserve of oil taking in their vessels or in their flasks so that they don't just have the lamp, they have something to keep the lamp lit. Why that would be significant only really matters once verse five comes into it. These ten virgins awaiting the coming of the bridegroom have to wait a little longer than they expected. Verse five begins, while the bridegroom tarried. Chapter twenty-four. Verse 48. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart. My Lord delayeth his coming. Same Greek word. Is present in 2448 for delay. As in 255 for tarried. There's a reality and presence. Where the wicked servant thought his master would come later. The master came sooner. These ten virgins, all of them, are expecting the bridegroom sooner. He comes later. And so they all slumber and sleep. All awaiting his coming with lamps, all sleeping because he is delayed, and indeed, in verse 6, they all awake, they all hear a midnight cry. Behold the bridegroom. He comes. You now it's a sudden awakening. In the middle of the night. When it's dark outside. Is likely when we're to be the least alert and awake. So these ten virgins. Waiting for the coming. Hearing this cry at midnight suddenly being awoken it's a certain picture of the suddenness of the coming of the Lord. And then Jesus keeps telling the story. In verses 7 to 10, they're no longer preparing to meet the bridegroom. They are meeting the bridegroom. They're meeting him as he comes to the wedding. Verse 7, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us in you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Verse 7, all the virgins arise. They trim their lamps. They make the last minute preparations to ensure that they have the light to go out to meet the bridegroom. But that's when the distinction then becomes clear between the wise and the foolish. Because that's when the foolish's lack of preparation to have extra oil with them becomes clear. As their lamps are going out, they won't light up anymore. So they ask of the wise. you can see it in verse 8. Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. It seems like a fairly reasonable request. But within the point and scope of the parable, the wise refuse to make a question about whether there'd be enough oil. They say that instead the foolish should go and buy. They should take care of their own emergency and lack of preparation themselves by going to the marketplace, going to those who sell and buying From there, what they should have already brought in the first place. Then verse 10 comes in. It says, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. It was too late for the foolish virgins to get oil and be ready for the bridegroom. They found out their error too late. So they who were ready went in. and the tragic words are then stated the door was shut we started thinking through this section about being ready for the Lord's coming a couple weeks ago in Matthew 24:36 to 44 And there we saw a comparison made between the coming of the Son of Man and the days of Noah with the ark. Jesus' point being that it would be sudden and it would come while everything in life seemed to be happening normally. People would be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That Sunday, we read for our scripture reading from Genesis and part of the flood account. And we specifically read words that included that as Noah and all the animals and his family went into the ark, that the Lord shut the door. Entrance was stopped. Those outside of the ark of salvation would remain outside as judgment came. It's that same somber moment that's at play in this parable. When the door was shut. And that becomes clear in verses 11 to 12. After the meeting. Verses 11 to 12, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So after the door is shut, these other virgins now have their oil and they're ready for the bridegroom. And they come to the door. They say, Lord, Lord. They recognize him. They have a friendly and respectful address to him. And they think that they should be let in. After all, they were invited to be among the friends celebrating the wedding in the first place. And so they say, open to us. The bridegroom doesn't. The bridegroom simply says, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And from an outside observer's perspective, from the beginning to the parable till this moment, they looked the part of being his friends. They indeed seem to have thought they were his friends too now we're left with the point that they were never known at all. But their actions have betrayed the fact that they were in fact strangers to the bridegroom for which they waited. And then Jesus says in verse 13, words that are very similar from verses 42 to 44 of chapter 24. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh." He cautions his disciples to watch, to be ready, to be alert. As we noted a little bit earlier, the wicked servant last week failed to prepare for the nearness of his master's coming. And these foolish virgins have failed to prepare for the delay in the bridegroom's coming. And ultimately, both are left outside in the dark. I think you'd summarize the point that Jesus is making, saying that readiness is for the long term, it's for the long haul. Readiness requires preparation for long term, lifelong obedience. Think about these. Virgins, a little bit more. The foolish ones in particular. You know, when we looked last week, when we saw the wicked servant be left outside and then particularly saw great judgment given to him as he's cut in two, and put in the place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. He understood greatly why he would be so treated and so punished. He was vicious. He was vile. He struck his fellow servants while feeding himself in luxury. The picture is different with these five foolish virgins. Jesus' parable doesn't present them as having done anything heinous, anything vicious, anything vile. Indeed, as we took great efforts to point out, They look externally the same as the wise virgins. They profess to wait for his coming. They bring lamps with them. They sleep when the wise sleep. They wake and trim their lamps when the wise do so. And then, as the final kicker, they come to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. They expect entry. But unlike the wise, they're not prepared for the delay. They're not in it for the long term. Their preparation and the things that had been done in them were only to last for but a short time and not to the end. They're like the seed fell upon the rocky ground, or even the thorny ground. It sprang out for a while, but didn't last. For the rocky ground it had no root, and therefore as the heat comes in, it withers away. For the thorny ground, the thorns, the cares and concerns of the world come in and choke out that which has been planted. Seems that with all of this put in place, we have good reason to think that these five foolish virgins don't represent anything like the unbelievers outside. But the Christians in name only on the inside. The nominal Christians. The ones who think that they are saved, but in fact, are not. God made all things. He made them beautiful and very good. We mankind sinned. Adam and Eve took the fruit. Hate it. And we all are born in their sin. And bring about the own sin in our lives because we are in fact sinners. We do things that are against God. Which is what sin is. It's against his holy character. Against his perfection. It's things like lying. Cheating. Cheating. Stealing, selfishness, things like being ungrateful to him, thinking that we're made by ourselves, of ourselves. And all of those things have the effect of pushing us outside. Where if the door is closed, we wouldn't be in. Because our sin keeps us out. With that separation. That eternal fire and torment. It's not the end of the story. This whole book of the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 3. Even Genesis 3 ends with a promise that a seed would come to crush the head of the snake. And so indeed, Jesus comes after a long period of waiting. God, the son in the flesh. Not to live and tell us how to live. But to die the death we couldn't die. To die the death we deserved. To bear the sin of the world. And offer life to those who believe. including those who profess to believe him but never did. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there's hope. Hope to turn to him in truth. To not, as would be so common among the reality of thinking you're a Christian and not being one, not to grant confidence in anything that we do, In words that we said in prayer, in baptism, church membership, church attendance, church service. But to trust in him alone. As our one and only hope. To (laughs) repent of our sins and cling to him. Brothers and sisters. I call all of us to make sure that we are there. Having repented and believed. Knowing that the preparation can't ultimately be by osmosis. My preparation can't help your preparation in the end. The oil of the wise can't benefit the oil of the foolish. Prepare your own self by trusting in Jesus alone. And I directed that to those of you who have been in church for a while. It's also a true reality to be expressed to those who have never come to make any sort of profession in Christ who've never claimed to know Christ or be friends of the bridegroom in this way, the same message is true for you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and there's no one so bad that he can't save. So if you haven't, come to him and believe, and don't be left out in the dark. You know, it's significant Jesus tells this story with ten virgins, and he places five of them as wise and five of them as foolish. Now we must not push this too far. That's not to say that Jesus is making some sort of prophecy that throughout church history 50% 50% of those who profess Christ won't actually possess Him. But I think we also do well to note that Jesus could have chosen any numbers. He could have chosen there to be one or two foolish. He chose a high number, significant number, he chose half. I think Charles Spurgeon is right. But our Savior would not have spoken of so great a proportion if there were not really a very large admixture of foolish professors of the grace of God. Or to put it in more modern language, our Savior would not have spoken of so high a number if there weren't indeed so many people in the church who weren't actually of the church and in Christ. Consistently and regularly, the New Testament tells us as Christians to deal with the sin of another church member, a persistent public sin, as being significant and serious. And I think the reason why is because we don't know what the stakes are. When we call a church member to repentance, we don't know whether we're calling him to initial repentance or ongoing repentance. We don't know whether they're truly saved in the first place. Or whether we're snatching them from the fire. It's a somber reality That requires a community to act with utmost earnestness. That Jesus presents a large number of the visible church as not being part of the invisible church. That many church members won't truly know Christ. What we haven't directly spoken of. Is that whole point of readiness being a point for the long term? Readiness has a lot to do with that ongoing repentance. Those who are truly ready, those who truly believe in Jesus Christ, we will continue to push for obedience and strive for it and repent of the sin as we find it. We'll have extra oil in our lamps. Then again, we have a problem. We have the New Year's resolution problem. Our own resolve will only take us so far. Our own resolve won't lead us to long-term obedience. The gospel has as its foundation the reality that Jesus died for us. And he arose again and now God is for us. But it has as its continuation. That God is in us. That the spirit of God dwells within us. Bringing us to understand him Christ more. Bringing us to repent of the sin we see. And keep going. God with us is actually a significant theme in Matthew's gospel. From the manger in Bethlehem, where Jesus is born as God with us, to the time of his earthly life, while he's legitimately, literally walking with his disciples, till the final promise and the final words, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The fight for long-term obedience is not a fight we do by ourselves. Indeed, we cannot. It's a fight that Jesus does by his spirit working in us. It's the fight of being born again. And so having the spirit working with the new nature he has given to us. A redeemed nature. God is with us to deliver us from the penalty of our sin and from its power in our lives. And so in dependence on the Spirit, we can be prepared for long-term obedience and only in such dependence. And so, Father God, we come before you asking that you would give or rather use your spirit in our lives. Give the spirit to those who have never been born again, never been born from above of your spirit. And for those of us who have, continue to use your spirit to renew us, to transform us, to push us to keep denying ourselves and taking up our cross, following after your son, Allow us to build upon his words. Not to be focused upon anything other than Jesus' blood and righteousness is our only hope. May the door be open for us in the end. And we be brought in to your heavenly kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Ryan again. I'm glad that you were able to listen to today's sermon audio. If you would, please do remember that we strive as Christians to be the aroma of Christ to God among those who are perishing and among those who are being saved. To some, then, that's a fragrance of life to life, and to others, it's a fragrance of death to death. And we don't have our sufficiency in ourselves for these things, but only from God. And so I leave you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.